0: Welcome to this episode of the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. Here is your host, Pastor Eric Stillman. All right. Well, uh, this morning is going to be the last sermon in this series on justice and what the Bible has to say about this important topic, how we evaluate cultural messages on justice. Um, Next week, what we're going to do at the end of a long series like this, I like to do kind of a summary and testimony time. And so I'll summarize where it's been. I'll have a handout for you that'll summarize the different sermons. And then we'll open it up and give an opportunity for you to come up and to share if there's anything that touched you, challenged you, things that God did in your life, Um, anything like that. I'd love to have you come up and share if there's ways you took a challenge and and saw God move. So I want to encourage you between now and next week just to reflect on the sermon series and... Some way that you might come up and share. I always love it. It's always, you know, open mic is kind of, you never know what's going to happen, but it always winds up being a blessing when you guys come up and talk more than I do. So this is the last sermon in this series on justice. And every week I've begun with three preliminary statements that I just want to repeat. Um, First of all, this is not a primarily political sermon series, nor is it a social science lecture. I'm a pastor trying to stay in my lane, preaching to you from the Word of God on what uh, the Bible has to say about justice. And this is so important because so many people these days think that religion and politics are somehow, you know, intertwined when they're not supposed to be. Jesus' kingdom is not a kingdom of this world, right? So this is not primarily a political sermon series or a social science lecture. Secondly. I'm going to be speaking on subjects throughout the series that I know are controversial, that may be sensitive. I don't expect everyone to agree with everything I say. However, I do expect that if you disagree, you would speak the truth in love. You know, this is something that is so important as a church because you look out at the world and so many people have a hard time speaking the truth in love. It's a lot of shouting at each other, uh, a lot of people who disagree and can't figure out how to have a civil conversation about it. But in the church, uh, we should set the tone of speaking the truth in love, and so far, Nine weeks in, you guys have been great at that. I have gotten emails. I have gotten phone calls. I have gotten feedback from people on things I've shared, and it's always been the truth and love, and so I'm thankful for that, for the, the tone that you've all set. And then the third thing I want to say is that this is, sermon series is not primarily about us you know, wagging our finger at the world for the way the world is doing things wrong. It's truly about holding up a mirror to ourselves and saying, as a church, how are we doing in fulfilling God's desire for justice in this world? So, as I said, this morning is the last sermon in the series, and the theme for this morning is the end of injustice, the end of injustice. And I want to begin with a particularly depressing biblical passage this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 1 through 3. Pretty certain this passage is nobody's life verse. Here we go, Ecclesiastes 4, 1 through 3. Again, I looked, and I saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living, who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun." Now, Ecclesiastes is a very different kind of book in the Bible. It's this thought experiment, basically, of what would it be like if, if it was just life under the sun, if there's no God, no afterlife, just life under the sun. And he's saying, if, that, if all there is is just this life under the sun, then better to be dead or not even be born than to go through a life where there's just suffering and injustice until you die. It's a very depressing look at it. But I think if you open your eyes and you look around the world long enough, you're going to be overwhelmed by the amount of injustice in this world. If all you see is your own kind of narrow world, maybe you think it's fine. But if you open your eyes and actually look around the world, it is overwhelming to see the injustice in this world. I mean, just to throw out some, you look at all the places where there's not even clean drinking water, you know, not even basic sanitation and hygiene. Places where there's just children in the foster care system with no family, no home the economic inequalities you see all around you, all the isms like racism and sexism around the world, the natural disasters, places that deal with hurricanes and then all of a sudden their whole country is decimated, trying to rebuild. You look at the terrorism around the world, the wars, the human trafficking, the healthcare inequalities, the homelessness. I could go on and on, but hopefully, again, if you open your eyes and you look around the world, it's overwhelming to see just the depth of injustice and suffering. And even if you came away from this sermon series, you know what, I'm going to devote my life to justice. I mean, you'd get to the end of your life and look back and probably say, did I make any difference at all? Did I make a dent in the incredible amount of injustice in this world? But there's good news. The good news is that this world is not all there is that God one day will make a final end of injustice. And when you understand that, it changes the way you deal with injustice in this world. Just one passage, fast forward to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, 1 through 5, this great picture of what it's going to be like on that day. Sorry, first I had to depress you with some pictures. Revelation 21, 1 through 5, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It's a vision given to the apostle John of what's gonna be on that day. And he says, this is the way it's gonna be in the end. God is gonna return. Jesus will return and injustice and suffering and evil will be no more. And God will dwell with us on this renewed heaven and earth will be merged together and we'll live with him forever. No more suffering, no more pain, no more death. And that matters. It really matters. If you have a heart for the suffering in this world, for justice in this world, it matters that you believe this. It matters that you know this is the future we're headed towards. And it might seem, you know, for some of you, it may feel like, well, you've heard the expression, you know, you're so heavenly minded that you're of, oh, no earthly good. And some people might think, well, if you believe there's a heaven, you know, then you're not really going to be as passionate about fighting for justice Because you feel like, hey, in the end, God's going to sort it all out. What do I need to do now? If I believe this world is all there is, then certainly I'm going to give myself to make this world a better place. But I would argue that, again, when you understand this, that this is the end of injustice, it truly does give you a strength and a power to fight injustice in a way that you don't, if you don't believe in this. If you just believe that this life is all that there is. Let me give three reasons why this is so critical to fighting injustice. The first is this if there is eternity, if there is life beyond the grave, if one day God will make a, make a final end of all injustice, then that means that everything you do matters eternally. Everything you do matters eternally. Because one of the real crises, if you think that there's no God, that this life is all there is, you die and you're just food for worms, then the existential crisis of what is this all for, what, why, why, why give myself for things that in the end I'm just going to die? I'm not going to be here to see, to remember. In the end, the world, the planet's going to be destroyed eventually. And Why give my life to things that are about justice and all of that? This is why the hippies become yuppies, right? It's why when you're young and you're passionate about justice, eventually you grow up and just settle into kind of a comfortable suburban middle-class existence because why continue to pour out your life for things that in the end might not matter. But 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, Paul says these words, which may just be my life first, I think they were Andy's as well. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If you're unfamiliar with 1 Corinthians 15, this chapter, he's talking about the resurrection and how Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, we who die in Christ will also be raised from the dead to live eternally. And he concludes the chapter with these words. He says, therefore, because there's life after death, because of the resurrection, give yourselves fully to the work God has for you because it's not in vain. It's not meaningless. That midlife crisis of what is it all for? What am I giving my life to? He says, it's all meaningful. It all matters eternally. That's why, again, it's so important, if you care about injustice in this world, if you care about the suffering in this world, it matters that you believe that there is life eternal. That it's not just you die and it's over and you'll never be around to know what happened. Instead, you can give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know it's never in vain One of my favorite verses along those lines is Matthew 10, 42. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Again, that's Jesus saying the same thing. Every little thing that you do for God matters in this world. Every little thing you do in service to another human being matters eternally. Because even if you give a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty in my name, you will not fail to lose your reward. Whatever that means reward. He's saying there is an eternal reward for everything done for the Lord. And maybe that reward is organically connected to giving yourself to something and then recognizing that what you did mattered eternally. You know, there's reward in knowing that your labors actually bore fruit, mattered, right? As opposed to you give yourself to something and it just feels like it was meaningless. It made no difference. And maybe that reward is knowing that you gave your life to something that mattered eternally, that the little things that you did for other people and for God made a difference eternally in the lives of other people. Why does it matter to believe that there is life after the grave, to believe in the resurrection? Because it means that everything you do here matters eternally. It's not for nothing, it's not in vain. And he's called you to follow Jesus in that love and that service. Think of Colossians 1:24. Now I rejoice. In what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. It's this interesting phrase where he's saying, I'm going to fill up, I'm going to continue to do what Jesus did. He gave and poured out his life. His body was broken for us, and I'm going to follow in those footsteps and lay down my life and be willing to become broken bread, poured out wine, as it were, for others. I'm going to be willing to suffer for others. Remember Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I mean, that's one of the most important passages in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. First of all, that you're saved by grace. It means you're right with God, not because of your good works, but because of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. That he lived the perfect life you couldn't live. And he died a sacrificial death on the cross in your place. And whoever trusts in him will not perish, but have eternal life. But that's not the end. Then he says, you have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Every single one of you. It's like he brought you to himself and he said, this are the, these are the good works I've given for you to do. This is what it's going to look like for you to follow me. Love your family, if you have it. Work for justice. Love your neighbor. Pray for salvation of others. Pray for revival. Go out there and serve and love and give yourself as Christ gave himself for you. Let this prayer of St. Francis of Assisi be your prayer. Ready? Read this with me if you can read it. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, If you care about justice, why does it matter to know that one day God will make a final end of injustice? There is life beyond the grave. Because first of all, it means everything you do matters eternally. There is no crisis that's going to come of, just is this going to make any difference whatsoever? As Jesus said, even giving a cup of cold water to a little one who's thirsty matters eternally. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, to the good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. Because you know that it's not in vain. What difference does it make knowing that everything you do matters eternally? The second reason this matters is this, that suffering is not meaningless. Suffering is not meaningless. Again, if this life is all that there is, if you're born and you die and then you're forgotten and you become food for worms, if that's all it is, then suffering, it's not redemptive. There's no meaning in it. It just gets in the way of living this life before you die. But if there is life beyond the grave, if God is going to make a final end of injustice, then suffering can be redemptive. Suffering can be meaningful. I mean, if all we're living for is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness here, then suffering gets in the way of that. It robs us of life. It stifles our liberty. It steals our happiness. If you got dealt a bad hand... You know, if you grew up in a poor somewhere and and without clean drinking water, well, too bad. You know, that's your lot in life. If suffering, if this life is all there is, but if this life is not all there is, then suffering is redemptive. It can be meaningful. God can bring something good out of it. Tim Keller put it this way. Love this quote. He said, if your ultimate love and joy is found in the treasures of this world, then suffering will rob you of your joy. And make you sadder and madder. But if your ultimate love and joy is found in God, then suffering will drive you deeper into the source of that joy. Does that make sense? If you're living for anything here in this world, if you're just fixated on whether it's reputation or success or money or health and anything in this world, then any suffering that comes in is just going to make you sadder and madder because it's going to get in the way of what it is you're living for. But he says, if you're living for God, if your life is about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, then Suffering can be redemptive. It can be meaningful. It can drive you deeper into the source of that joy, bring you closer to God, make you more like him, prepare you more for service to him. It's not meaningless. Think of Philippians 3, 10 through 11, where Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection To those things we say amen. And then he says, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. I mean, you were probably with him for the first half and it's like, wait a minute, you know? Yeah, I want to know Christ. I want to know his power, but then also to know his suffering, to be willing to follow him all the way to laying down your life for others. He says, that's what I want. Suffering is meaningful. It's not meaningless. It's redemptive. It's a way of following him into this world, taking on the responsibility of following him and loving our neighbor and doing justice, being willing to give ourselves for others, being willing to suffer for others. Again, if there's no God, if this life is all there is and there's nothing beyond the grave, then suffering is meaningless. It just robs us of those things that we really want. But if there's a God, it's meaningful. It can be redemptive pastor and writer, William Willimon. He tells the story of visiting a woman in his church who was in the hospital who had just given birth. And there were problems with the birth. The doctor had told her that the baby had Down syndrome and also had a respiratory condition that was minor but correctable. And the doctor said, my recommendation is for you to just let nature take its course. A few days, there shouldn't be a problem. Just let the baby die. He said, after all, raising a Down syndrome child is going to create enormous amounts of stress. Many parents of Down syndrome children get divorced or separated. Do you really want to bring that kind of suffering into your life, on you, on your family, on your other children? And the pastor said, the response of the woman was, I could certainly see why it would make sense for a child like this to be born into a family like ours. Our children will do just fine. When you think about it, it could be a great opportunity. Right? If this life is all there is, then avoid suffering, right? If this child's just going to bring suffering into your life, then get that child out of here. You only live once. But if it's not just about this world, if it is about eternity, and suffering is not meaningless, it's redemptive. It can be meaningful that God can bring anything good out of any situation. As C.S. Lewis put it, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God uses pain, God uses suffering, and even injustice for his good. So the last thing I want to say, not just that everything we do matters eternally and that suffering is not meaningless, but because there will be a final end to injustice, you need to know this, that there is forgiveness for our injustice at the cross. You know, one of the most important things hopefully you got out of this series is that injustice is not just some evil thing out there, right? It's not just, we got to go fight injustice. I mean, what happens when you realize that injustice is in here? What happens when you realize that it's not just the bad people out there, but it's the bad person in here? It's not just the, the, the biased people out there, but it's the bias in my own heart. It's the corruption in my own heart. What happens when you realize that? It's not just we're the good people going out here to fight injustice in the world, but that, no, we are guilty of injustice. We are guilty as well. If God one day is going to make a final end to injustice, and if our hearts are also full of injustice, then what does that mean for you? It means you may be in big trouble. It means we may be in big trouble. If God is going to make a final end to injustice, and we are guilty of injustice, then we're in big trouble. Think of Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Sobering words. Again, Revelation is full of imagery, but you get the picture, right? Even in the imagery that if we are guilty of injustice, in the end, when God makes a final end of injustice and throws death and Hades into the lake of fire, destroys them once and for all, it says some are going to be thrown in there along with them who are still guilty of injustice, who have not repented, who have, have not confessed, who have not been forgiven. Because there is good news that even though we are all guilty of that injustice, all guilty of that corruption and sin, that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in our place to offer forgiveness of sin, to offer forgiveness for injustice and corruption and all of that, for all who turn from their self-centeredness and their sin to put their trust in Jesus. In the words of Jesus from John three sixteen to 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Listen carefully to these words. Injustice is not just something out there that we need to go fight against, right? Injustice is something in here, in our hearts as well. Yes, there's structural inequalities and systemic things out there to to war against, to fight against, but it begins here. If we don't begin here by dealing with the injustice in our own heart, the biases and corruption in here that God needs to heal, then we are lost. Then we are not pro- part of the solution, but part of the problem. On the cross, Jesus dealt with the inequality and the inequity in our hearts. Isaiah 53, 3-6 says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him... Iniquity of us all. God has dealt with the injustice and the corruption and the brokenness and sin in our heart by laying it on Jesus at the cross. That He, out of love for us, took the punishment we deserved, so that all who put their trust in Him are forgiven, receive His Holy Spirit, a new heart, empowered to go out and fight injustice, to go out and do justice, to love our neighbor as he's loved us. So I encourage you this morning, as I'm closing right now, I encourage you to first check your own heart. Are you in Christ? Do you belong to him? Has he dealt with the sin, the inequities in your own heart, the injustice in your own heart? Begins there. Hold up that mirror to yourself and let him deal with what is in your own heart and then go out to do justice, to love your neighbor, to work for the good of others. In the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that one day he will make a final end of injustice. Amen? One day he will put a final end to all of the sin and suffering and death. Let me close in prayer. God, I know your desire is that our church and individually that each of us would set an example of what it looks like to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with you. Forgive us for our self-centeredness, for our fears, our sin, the injustice in our own heart. Make us clean, Lord. Make us like you. Sanctify us, Lord. And send us out to love our neighbor as you have loved us. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just one song. Before we close with one last song of worship, I just want to mention that uh, there's a box in the back. You're welcome to give your tithes and offerings this morning to the work of God through our church. If you're online, there's a link on our website where you can give as well through the PayPal on our website. And if you're new this morning, uh, fill out those connection cards, drop it in the basket or the box in the back. Uh, On your way out, there are free books on the Welcome Center. You're welcome to take a book as our gift to you for joining us this morning Thank you for spending your time with us. And if you're online join us as well, you can send us a message or fill out that connection card on our website. Let's respond and close in worship this morning. Thank you for listening to the New Life Christian Fellowship Podcast. We are located at 1155 Silas Dean Highway in Wethersfield, Connecticut and can be found online at newlife-ct.org. No redistribution or use of any kind of this recording is allowed without express written consent of New Life Christian Fellowship.